0: Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and
1: Ben Eno. Can an encounter with someone who has died heal the trauma for someone connected with it? What is the experiencer actually encountering? Does it matter if what's happening is real?
2: Hello and welcome to the 696th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on ON. 1240 Radio, celebrating 70 years of broadcasting here in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. I'm Ben, and those therapeutic questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal and father, Dad. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Your name is not Dad, it is Paul. That's right. <laughs> okay. It is Father's Day, so happy Father's Day.
1: Well, you. thank you very much. I use the opportunity for dress down, <coughs> not wearing my, uh, I guess, trademark bow tie. You, on the other hand, are very dapper this morning. <laughs> you have dressed up, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, Well, we are uh, going to introduce our guest, even though we have not been able to uh, connect with him yet, uh, and we will optimistically give you his uh, intro, and hopefully we'll be able to connect within a few minutes. Uh, Dr. Alan L. Botkin received his doctorate in psychology from Baylor University in 1983. For the next 20 years, he worked in private practice and is a staff psychologist for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs in the Chicago area. He is currently the director of the Center for Grief and Traumatic Loss in Libertyville, Illinois. His websites include induced-adc.com and healing after the War. Dot com. Uh The book we're, we hope to be talking about today is "Induced After Death Communication." Very uh, interesting title. However, since uh, he, we don't have him with us yet, let's talk about our new book. Ben, uh, yes, behind the Paranormal Two, uh, Bigfoot. get the. There we go. Yes. yes, Bigfoot, Mothman, and monsters you never heard of. Okay. Now this has not officially not been released yet, but we had a wonderful event yesterday uh, right here in our listening area in Webster, Mass, at the uh, Book Lovers Gourmet. Uh, lovely, uh, we just we've fallen in love with the place. It's a charming little store. Of course, they sell books, and you can get lovely little. There's a lot pastries. of other stuff,
2: too. There's, there's all sorts of all sorts of little interesting knickknacks and right right. And, um, as, as well as you know, they have a bakery as well, and there's also yep, a coffee you know. shop there, mm-hmm. and it's it's got pretty much everything you could, you could want in a bookstore, even
1: comic books if you're into that. Did we just do a commercial?
2: Well, well maybe well, I'm I not supposed to I've do been, it. Anyway, we, we're really grateful place.
1: to Deborah over there. We had a wonderful event yesterday. Uh, so um, th- the the new book is the result of a um, wonderful time we had at the Danbury, Connecticut Public Library in February, and we did a um, a presentation on our Book that was came out, our, our I guess our older new book, uh, Behind the Paranormal: Everything You Know Is Wrong. It came out uh, from Schiffer Books last uh, November, and we did a program on that. And a, a number, uh, w- one or two children walked up to us and said, "Do you have any books on Bigfoot?" And we don't, or didn't, and uh, we kind of looked at each other. Yep, uh, we just gave our station manager uh, Dave Richards a copy there <laughs> as a present because he's so good, and the uh, Aurelio Morocco who has become a good friend, said, uh, why don't you do a program for young people on cryptids on June 24th? So we said, okay, so Ben and I kind of looked at each other and said, well, all right, let's write a book about it. So we have pulled this together in four months based on uh, CBS Radio and WON 1240 radio interviews that we've done on this show uh, over the last, really, 10 years. And it has been quite the interesting um, Exercise because I just I don't usually listen to the recordings of this show, uh, but some of the terrific guests we've had on this subject really uh, really inspired us to kind of get through this uh, this project and to put together a book that we're going to keep expanding upon. But anyway, we deal uh, we have an introduction. We didn't have time to get anyone to write a foreword. We have an introduction uh, called "Monsters," (laughs) you know, with a question mark like. You know, really, that kind of thing. Uh, But uh, we go into sort of the world of cryptids. Uh, Where do they come from and where do they go? Uh, We we tie into some ideas about uh, electricity, space, and time, Uh, creatures of the multiverse, and we're always talking about that subject. Uh, We think that this might be a very good explanation for where these creatures come and where these creatures go. Um, We talk a little bit about flap areas, and uh, we tie into conversations with Linda. Uh, Godfrey, who is the leading expert in this country and author uh, and researcher on uh, canine cryptids. Okay. Can anybody say werewolf? However, you know, you try to avoid that term because it's got all kinds of folklorish baggage. Oh, there's,
2: there's more than just the werewolf, you have the dog man and all sorts, yeah, of, all sorts of other stuff.
1: That's it. And l- Linda was kind enough to give us uh, quite a few uh, sketches that she herself had done. Now, l- l- like me, Linda has a background in newspaper journalism. And uh, back in the uh, early 90s, she uh, is from Elkhorn, Wisconsin and was a reporter there and ran into a lot of reports of what came to be called the Beast of Bray Road. So we'll get into that in a minute. But our first chapter is on Bigfoot. And we start with uh, our own, what we believe were were encounters with Bigfoot. And Ben wasn't with us on on these particular trips, but he's going to be with us on the next one, to the Pennsylvania Triangle, as we call it. And uh, I'm thinking of my own, I start really with my own experience on September 16th, 2016. Very, very beautiful moonlit night in the fields of western Pennsylvania in an area which we have, as I say, called the Pennsylvania Triangle because everybody around this area has been seeing not only uh, Bigfoot, uh, s- sorts of creatures, but strange lights in the sky, uh, a number of houses are complaining about shadow people and the ghostly type things, and uh, we said, aha, we probably have another flat area because it's got a long history of this, and the military seems to be interested. There have been low overflights by uh, fighter aircraft and by uh, C-130 cargo aircraft, uh, and one of the witnesses said that the cargo aircraft were dropping some strange substance. You know, very, very odd stuff going on here. And uh, it's a new case for us, And so we're kind of, of going um, uh, on uh, instinct and uh, trying to gather data and information as we go. Well, uh,
2: it's an ev- it's an ever-changing place, too. All sorts of new uh Information is rising and all sorts of new things are happening. And as Very you know, true. these these flap areas are always changing. And who knows, maybe Bigfoot will grow wings and turn into moth Bigfoot.
1: <laughs> who know? Well, don't, don't look now, but you, you remember we wrote about in the book, bat scratch. Yes. Um, almost a <laughs> combination, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, so uh, we have some um, photos in here of this experience, September 16, 2016. I'm sitting in my, my truck up on the hill uh, on, in the uh, overlooking a, a lovely field on a hill uh, where we had obtained Shane uh, Sh- Searway and I. Shane, of course, everybody knows who listens to the show, is a regular co-host of our open line shows. And uh, Shane and I uh, were working the case on, in September of 2016. And I'm sitting up there by myself in the truck uh, expecting lights, again, such as we had photographed the previous May. And so I'm looking out the left side. And all of a sudden I hear a, sort of a snuffling. Uh, very close by, about 20 feet away, and this was under a an old deer stand. That you know, there are big hunters out in that part of the country. Deer stand that had been uh, overgrown with grapevines, so you really couldn't see underneath it. And I immediately, it sounded like a, a large animal, like I a, a, um, I don't know, a moose or a horse or a bull or something like this. But there are lots of bears in this area, though we have not seen any bears so far. Uh, so I thought, gee, maybe it's a bear, or it could have been something else. But in the meantime, off to my right, something caught my eye, and there, right in the, uh, in my, right through the window uh, of the truck, I could see a large, bipedal, two, two-legged creature, unmistakable in the bright moonlight. And I'd been out there for hours anyway, so my eyes had adjusted, and I remember. Vividly, the two huge legs and knees moving up and down as it walked, and its head was bowed as it was looking for something. So I, totally unexpected, I'm not the sort of person who sees things, but there it was. So now that I snap a picture through the cold window with the infrared camera. Naturally, there's no um, heat signature, so there, there's no uh, creature recorded on the film, but I did... I, I kind of got out, very, very, uh, my heart was pounding, although I felt very much at peace when I was looking at this thing, very, very strange. I felt I was privileged, but I was excited, and I kind of got out as quietly as I could, and then my phone rings. People say, okay, well, gee, Paul, why didn't you turn off the phone? Well, um, who's going to call me in the middle of a Pennsylvania field in the middle of the night? And, of course, the answer was uh, my lovely wife, Ben's mom. Uh, so I she must, she was a bit taken aback when I said, I'm in the middle of a Bigfoot sighting. What? So sure enough, the uh, and my ringtone, of course, is the um, theme from uh, Lord of the Rings, the Shire theme from the movie Lord of, Lord of the Rings or Fellowship of the Ring. And uh, that goes blasting out across the field in the the, the quiet moonlight. And, of course, uh, whatever I was looking at was gone. And um, I don't know, maybe it was the closest I ever Isn't came to way the Isn't that always the way, though? Well, usually
2: your mother doesn't call in the Middle East. Thing. Well, that's true. But, you know, it, it's whenever something cool is
1: happening, exactly. something always interrupts yeah. it. So, um, so anyway, uh, meanwhile, Shane, uh, at the other end of the property, was having his own uh, interesting experience. But uh, the following evening, September 17th, uh, 2016, we had a neighborhood meeting. Over 20 people showed up, and uh, Shane and I gave a presentation, and we wanted to know what these people had been experiencing. Every single one of them had had some sort of experience with Bigfoot, some rather dramatic experiences. Uh, And again, these are normal, ordinary folks, um, not particularly interested in this subject until they uh, moved into this area or at least had grown up in the area and were used to this sort of thing. And they all had had experiences. But then when I I related the experience from the previous night of seeing this two-legged creature uh, moving through the field, Uh, I had seen, I should say, after this experience, within a few minutes, lights shining up into a tree on the other side of the field. Ordinary flashlight, spotlight kind of things. Nothing paranormal. So as I was relating this the next night at the neighborhood meeting, a hand went up, and it was Melissa from just over the lip of the hill from where that field was. And she said, oh, those lights, that, that was my daughter and me. And she said we had come home, and we had heard something large moving through that field when we get out of the car and we went up to see what it was and took our flashlights and so uh, i mean people are they're not afraid of these things they're so used to them in this flap area so if this is what it appears to be then here are people who heard what i was seeing as i was seeing it so i mean th- that seems to be corroborative evidence uh, certainly from other perhaps other witnesses so that seems to be what it appears to be uh, now, um, also in the book, we have um, uh, other Bigfoot experiences, and of course, Shane himself. Uh, earlier in this expedition, one of the earlier and earlier, tri- actually, the first trip we took to this Pennsylvania Triangle area uh, was down in the um, uh, an area. Uh, this is a forty-six acre tract uh, that we believe is the heart of this, and he was down in an area uh, just at the o- front of the opposite end of the property from where I was and he was sitting in his truck it was broad daylight although it was raining and he looked up and he saw a black hairy creature now now he he has described this on the show before between two trees and he immediately thought it was a bear so he kind of started his engine took off toward it and the thing ran off to Shane's left and it was on two legs and he could see long arms swinging back and forth as it ran and as a matter of fact it flushed three deer from there, and, and the deer went running. So by the time Shane got there, uh, all he noticed was that the uh, sign on a tree, no trespassing sign, was about eight feet high, and that's how high the creature was. <laughs> so um, we're, we're still gathering information on this area, but we have all this in the book. It's the first time this has ever been published uh, in the book, and we also have um, little bios of all the people we've interviewed on the show uh, with their pictures and the interesting stories that they uh, have been telling. Um, we have uh, a number of strange things in that case that we related and uh, we also get into um, an interview we had with Jeff Hilling now Jeff uh, is a really interesting um, fellow uh, We appeared; he appeared on our CBS radio edition on November twenty-second, 2009 and Jeff Hilling is an expert on what's known as the Patterson-Gimlin film now anyone who's interested in this subject may have seen this film it's, it's everywhere, it's on YouTube and everything else and it's a uh, film uh, taken uh, by two men in the 1970s, uh, actually uh, 1960, 1967, October 20th, 1967, by Roger Patterson and Roger Gimlin, Robert Gimlin, uh, in near Orleans, California, Northern California. And they happened to be on an old logging road. They were riding horses, and uh, they uh, saw what they claimed was a, a Bigfoot, and they got tremendous footage of it just walking across a, a clearing. And it was really quite striking. And at one point, it looks back at them, and we have that picture in the book. And but the only thing that, and Ben and I looked at this film, and uh, we've known it's been around forever. And one thing that strikes me is if you look at the whole film, um, not just the Bigfoot walking, but Mr. Gimlin and two horses, kind of uh, walking up to the area where the Bigfoot was. The horses are not skittish. Now, in many instances in the book, we talk to witnesses who have uh, seen Bigfoot and have been in uh, uh, the same field or the same woodland, and everything is silent. Even the crickets stop in the presence of this of this creature.
2: That's interesting,
1: isn't it interesting? And I wonder why the horse. And you, and I, well, you haven't been around horses that much, but I used to own no. horses, and they are very nervous critters. And um, I don't understand why they would. Be so quiet in the f- in the uh, presence of, of Bigfoot if that's what it was. There, there's a lot of claims. There are a lot of claims that people that, that there's this is someone in a suit who did this, and there are even people who said they were in the suit, but their stories, according to Jeff Hilling, really don't hold up.
2: Well, here's a here's a question I have for you. Have you noticed any parallels between um, you know ex- investigating um, let's say you know classic ghost cases and Experiences with Bigfoot in the environment it is that is.
1: Yeah, I think I know what you mean. Uh, I think since the processes are the same, in our opinion that you're, when you're seeing a, a quote-unquote ghost, it's really not the spirit of anybody. It's, it's actually the person you're seeing through the membrane of a parallel reality where it may be a different time. Laws of physics may be different. It's a whole different approach to the paranormal. And we think the same thing is true with Bigfoot, which is why we're so interested in flap areas, because the same processes are allowing seemingly unrelated paranormal phenomena to occur with great frequency.
2: Then here's another question. Why do you think it is that... Um, certain animals react differently. It seems like woodland animals are kind of used to this stuff, and, like, weird things, in in our point of view, at least. Hmm. So they, they don't, like, um, I'm trying to think of how to describe this. So let's say you have, uh, I don't know, dog lives in the house, dog freaks out all the time, barks at nothing, that kind of thing. Hmm. But I've also I've also heard of, of cases in which people have had Bigfoot encounters and their dogs go nuts. Yeah, But... Yeah, you, you say that even if, if Bigfoot's around like horses or deer or whatever, they seem remarkably calm.
1: Why do you well, think no, that is? Well, no, I, I don't think that that's necessarily true, okay. but I, I get the question. And I'm also thinking of something else that's in the book, uh, based on our inter- interview with Philip Spent, the late Philip Spencer, I'm yeah. sorry to say. Uh, we interviewed him here on ON, I believe it was in 09. Well, he was one of the first guests we had when we came to ON. Uh, and he was saying that, he described two separate incidents in Kentucky, Now, he was an expert on the Kentucky Wildman and and one of the most beloved uh, Bigfoot researchers in the country, Mm -hmm. Philip Spencer. And he described seeing in the presence of a friend at about 2 o'clock in the morning, I guess there's sort of a hobby down there in Kentucky of uh, a lot of people like to go out in the rural areas and, and watch wildlife. Kind of a nice thing to do. And they had a spotlight on this field. And in the midst of about 30 deer, there appears this Bigfoot. It was so big, it just stepped over a three or four foot fence as if it wasn't even there. And uh, the deer were very calm as this creature, according to Philip, walked through uh, their midst. They didn't freak. They, they didn't even um, stir really at all. They were just grazing. Uh, and then the Bigfoot turned around and just walked away. And, and the, the deer uh, got it together in a group and just sort of ambled off without being alarmed. On another occasion... Uh, Philip didn't see the Bigfoot. He was walking; it was broad daylight. He's walking down a dirt road in Kentucky, and he happens to uh, to see, or I rather to hear, a, a thrashing in the woods. Because uh, there was a, a hill right next to the road, going up, of course. Right. And uh, the, to the other side of the road, it it uh, sort of sank down into a field. So the road was on a hill, and all of a sudden, a huge doe comes bursting through the underbrush, runs across the road in a panic, and then jumps 10 feet over the uh, lip of the road into the field, which happened to be the same field where he saw the Bigfoot with his friend at night several years before this. Uh, There were other deer that were running around, and he said he could hear a large um, two-legged creature running around, and there was a log that had been rolled down. And so... And I remember we asked him on the air, I said, you know, why is it, Phil, that the deer in the first instance were so calm and the deer in the second were in a total panic? And he said, you know, he has turned that question over in his head in all these ensuing years. And we suggested the possibility that perhaps, uh, and we believe that when paranormal events occur, that um, we have... uh, We are partially across the membrane into their world, and they are partially across. There's an overwash, as we call it, or an overlap that occurs. Right. So uh, that's, um, I think, one possible explanation that is, you know, if you believe the parallel world thing. Uh, And he agreed that that really is probably one of the best explanations. So maybe in one case, uh, the animals really didn't see it. That's a possibility. Uh, That also explains why some people in a group will see a UFO and some people in the same group won't. You know, which is interesting because it ties us personally into the experience, which we think is very important. Hmm. And in another case, the case of the panicking, maybe it was more. Maybe they did see it or could experience it.
2: That actually makes sense in in an odd way.
1: Yeah, well, everything we do is odd, right? That's true. So the Native Americans, uh, many of the First Nations, will say, who know from the Northern Hemisphere, who know about Bigfoot, and they all do, or, or whatever they want to call Sasquatch, or whatever they want to call it, will say, this is uh, a fellow human, an- another tribe. They're our brothers. And they are the keepers of the game. Right. Keepers of the game. Now, it's funny that um, one of the things that Melissa said uh, in this experience of mine in september of last year uh was that uh when they went up into the field uh the the huge thing they heard was was gone but there were a few deer you know now, i didn't see any deer but uh, they the place is full of deer it's all right. over the place so um i this is i've seen them there but not, not in that particular oh, field it's middle of, of
2: nowhere there. pennsylvania so
1: yeah uh, well i mean that th- yeah, I guess. It may, but it's farming country. Now, that brings up another issue uh, that we deal with in the book uh, about flap areas. We have farming country where you've got farms right. and patches of woodland that are maybe 10, 20 acres in size at the most.
2: Yeah, how could that support
1: a Bigfoot? How could that support a Bigfoot population? And where do they, never mind supporting it, where do they even go? How come they're not, like, walking down the street and everything else? Because they just so they apparently come and go and, and this one that i saw uh, i looked to the right there it was walking and then you know the, the the phone goes off and it's gone but i saw it for a while i mean it was it was a good clear sighting especially in the bright moonlight right and i asked myself you know it, this uh, this isn't a deer and it was absolutely huge and the next morning uh, September seventeenth, uh, Shane and I went out there and we found uh, th- and there's a picture of this in the book, uh, a, a track where some very large two-legged creature had come through, and he uh, reenacted this from uh, I was where I sat and he was where I saw the creature, and he, I mean he he is six feet tall. I mean Shane's a big guy, yeah, and this was at least two feet taller, uh, I think very clearly from, you know, from what I from what I had seen the previous night. So there you go. So also, Bigfoot being um, a popular subject for young people, we're going to get into that next week at the library. Uh, (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, The second chapter is on Mothman. Now, for those that don't know what Mothman is, that that was a term the media gave to a very, very strange creature that appeared in the Ohio Valley. Really, it has been present throughout human folklore, but was present in... Uh, the Ohio Valley of the United States in the mid-1960s, particularly 1966-1967. And we have interviewed a number of people on this, uh, people who are from the area who know all about it. And there is disagreement uh, on a number of facts, uh, such as who uh, who had the first experience. Uh, now, I remember when we were in Parkersburg in 2003, you were at the tender age of 11, Ben. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, and uh, we talked to some witnesses. But you remember some of that.
2: I remember, I, I remember, some, I
1: remember yeah. a little you, bit. You weren't working with me at the time. Well, but not officially, I wasn't, and you banged your head in the pool in, in near washington d c and yes, and I, I had a l- look like a third eye' yeah. like <laughs> That's just, right it was yeah. cr- it was pretty bad, yeah Susan Shepard pointed that out she 's one of the um, uh, monster hunters, quote unquote that we uh focus on in our book um, very, very uh, and th- these are all very sharp and intelligent people. Uh, one of the first people we deal with on the mothman subject uh, was Jeff Wamsley, and Jeff is a, a good friend from Point Pleasant, West Virginia, which seem to be a center of this. Oh, we're already at the bottom of the hour. Okay, well, let's get back to Mothman in a minute. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240, celebrating its 70th anniversary, broadcasting in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back.
0: This is Bob Vila, and my daily home improvement tip will help you keep those little problems around the house from becoming big ones. The Bob Vila Home Improvement Tip of the Day can be heard every day on ON 1240 One Socket Radio at 745 in the morning. The Bob Vila Home Improvement Tip of the Day is brought to you by Cumberland Kitchen and Bath Design Center in the McDonald's Plaza, Menden Road in Cumberland. Visit them online at cumberlandkitchen.com.
1: Okay, we're talking about Mothman here on Behind the Paranormal this morning. Unfortunately, our guest uh, on the subject of induced after-death communication, Dr. Alan Botkin, whom I was very much looking forward to talking with about that very unusual subject. Uh, apparently, something has come up and... Um, well, I'm
2: uh, still keeping up hope.
1: Yeah, well, unless he calls in, um, you know, but, but, you know, being a doctor, I mean, things do come up and it does happen, but we'll reschedule him if we if he doesn't c- uh, call in today. Uh, By by the end of the show and give us enough time to interview him. So anyway, we're talking about uh, our new book, uh, Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of. And uh, we're talking about uh, Bigfoot and Mothman as being the monsters you probably have heard of. And we were talking about our own experience down there in uh, three at uh, the paranormal conference we, that uh, I spoke at. Ben hadn't started working with me yet. In three we are talking to some witnesses about this very strange creature, which was seen to be at the center of a flap area. Now, Mothman was described, and we can describe um, probably something, if we can quote from a very ac- excellent book by... Um, Donnie Sargent and Jeff Wamsley, uh, published some years ago. And uh, it talks about what was believed to be the first, although uh, other witnesses disagreed, but a very dramatic encounter uh, by um, the uh, Scarberry family, uh, or I should say the two newly married couples, the Scarberries and the Millettes. And uh, this is a quote, they were up there, uh, Jeff said, drag racing at an area known as the TNT area which was an ammunition factory during World War II, but had been abandoned. And he said all the kids would go up there and drag race and who knows what all uh, at that, that uh, place. And uh, so as they drove around a turn, they, sp- they spotted what they thought was a man in the, in the uh, ro- middle of the road. And according to the description of Linda Scarborough, quote, it was about seven feet tall. It had wings that were visible on its back. The tips of the wings could be seen above its shoulders. Its body was like that of a slender, muscular man, Linda told interviewer Donnie Sargent, as recorded in the book, and the name of the book is Mothman, The Facts Behind the Legend. Uh, I'd check it out, if, cause it's really interesting. Uh, the creature's body was flesh-colored, Linda added. Its wings were an ashen white. The wings looked like, an a- like angel wings. Its face couldn't be seen because the eyes simply hypnotized you when you looked into them. Now, this is interesting. A lot of these cryptids, uh, you know, these strange creatures, we feel... Maybe the reason for a lot of our folklore about things like angels and uh, some of the uh, various creatures you see uh, even in ancient art, particularly the Syrians with the uh, you know these lions with wings and things of this kind and yeah. uh, it 's really quite interesting that, that these may have been uh, translated by means of our folklore from real. Uh, multiversal if you will creatures people have experienced and here's a modern example that might might illustrate that Uh, there are many different artistic renditions of Mothman uh, no photo. Well, there's, there are alleged photographs, but I don't really trust them. Uh, and the, we have those in our book as well. Uh, and we have wonderful artwork, original artwork by Ker- uh, Corinne Mansberg, uh, who I understand just became an American citizen. She's from Finland originally. Ah, yes. And uh, so we congratulated her on Facebook. And she did some wonderful, wonderful artwork for our, um, our book. And one of them, uh, in the Mothman chapter, is uh, a very common uh, moth like rendition of Mothman. Uh, this sort of thing. However, uh, the the experience that the Scarboroughs and the Letts had was was really certainly frightening. Uh, Linda said that the creature made no sound, and again, this is in November of 1966. And the scenario got weirder. Uh, "Quote: When we first saw it, we had just topped a hill in the TNT area, and when the headlights of our car hit it, it looked directly at us as if it was scared," she continued. Uh, These young people were astounded to see that the creature had a wing. Caught in a guide wire by the side of the road near the what was known as the North Power Plant and the non non functional building in this TNT area, Linda went on quote it was pulling on its wing with its hands trying to free itself its hands were really big it was really scared unquote now wasn't that interesting it is odd. Because people were saying they're so terrified of this thing. Naturally, obviously a very alien-type creature, so they're going to be... That's assuming it's the
2: same creature.
1: Assuming it's the same creature. There's, there's a lot of speculation that this was uh, one of a number of creatures uh, who may have come through, I mean, the classic term is a portal or whatever, but we think it's an overlap or overwash. Yeah. Um, so, the, the, again, they would eventually dub this Mothman, the Presswood. And uh, Linda said, quote, we were all screaming. Uh, But we couldn't perform the actual action of leaving the scene. It was like we were being hypnotized. The creature finally freed its wing, then ran into the power plant building. Now, you think it'd have wings it would fly, but it ran into the power plant building. And Linda said, quote, I felt sorry for it. We thought it might have been some sort of machine or something, possibly being controlled by the UFOs or whatever was in them. So as soon as the creature disappeared, the trance-like atmosphere disappeared, and the, the uh, four young people were able to leave. Is that our guest? No. Oh, it's not. Okay. So uh, in any case, very, very strange experience. Now, uh, as we interviewed people over, over the course of uh, the years on the show, one of whom was a witness, Robin Bellamy, who now lives in Toronto, Canada. Uh, we got some very interesting information, but it's all in the book. Okay, we have a caller, and it's a question from Phil. Phil, welcome to the ON 1240.
0: How are you, Paul?
1: Oh, pretty fair. This is Phil from Orange, Massachusetts? That's correct. Oh, yes, Phil. Okay, very good. So, uh, how's it going? So, uh, what's your your question today, Phil?
0: Today, I would like to know if, to your knowledge, um, either from primary or secondary sources, has anyone seen a mothman or a mothman-like creature used its wings to lift off like a bird, or are those wings more like um, a Superman cape, sort of a fashion accessory from some parallel universe? What are they using the wings for, is my question.
1: Well, there's a thought, and we get into that in in the the chapter, uh, particularly on humanoids, in, in our book. And as people often describe, sometimes people describe Mothman as using the wings to flap. Uh, After the Scarberries and the Millettes left this TNT area, after the experiences we've described, they kept seeing this creature. Apparently it became curious about them and began to follow them. At one point it was uh, flying right above their car, and they could hear what they presumed were the wings... Uh, the tips of the wings banging on the sides of the vehicle, and they were doing uh, over a hundred miles an hour.
0: Oh my God!
1: Yeah, and so when they got to Point Pleasant, they they went to the police. Now they saw it again because cause this this stopped, and at one point they saw it uh, sitting on a billboard, standing on a top of a billboard. Okay, and when the the headlights hit it, it rose into the air. I guess kind of Superman style, it just rose into the air. They didn't mm-hmm. notice the wings flapping. Uh, and then as they got toward the town, this is all along the Ohio River, they got into the town, they saw it sitting on a flood, flood wall, you know, concrete flood wall, yeah. and, and it had its wings folded, and it had its hands around its knees, like we would <laughs> sit sometimes. I mean, this is what Linda Scarberry said, All right. And so they got to the police... The police, uh, you know, understandably had a little bit of skepticism, but they saw that these young people had not been drinking; they weren't on drugs, and they were, they were genuinely frightened. And then everybody began to see this as witness reports came in. Uh, there were a lot of reports of it simply rising, uh, which, which led to some speculation that it was some sort of machine. Okay. Uh, then there was uh, there were others who said they saw it flapping. Uh, now, now, this is not the first time Mothman has been reported. This is just the biggie. This, this is the big one people have heard of. But for um, millennia, people have reported creatures like this. You know, the Birdman kind of thing uh, is is a staple in, an, in almost an archetype in human folklore. Uh, and then recently, uh, th- they supposedly saw it uh, at, 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 when the, the Chernobyl uh, nuclear disaster took place in the Ukraine. Ah, uh, yes, the the Black Bird of Chernobyl. Yeah. And also, even more recently, uh, when uh, the, uh, w- was a Route 35, the bridge in Minneapolis collapsed? Oh, yeah. It was only a few years ago. People reportedly saw Mothman. Because you don't know. I mean, maybe they, who knows what they saw.
2: Yeah, there's really, there's really no, the, there's like a few. I know the Blackbird of Chernobyl, there's very little evidence for it. So it may or it may not be made up.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knows? But in Point Pleasant, which was the center seemingly the center of the mothman thing uh, in, in december of, tw- of nineteen sixty seven the year after it began, uh, the uh, silver bridge, which we 've actually been on the the new one uh, it doesn't actually go to point Pleasant it goes to i think it's Fort Henderson. And then, which is right next to Point Pleasant, so there's a second bridge you have to cross to get to Point Pleasant. But, but the point being that the bridge collapsed, 46 people were killed, and people said Mothman was, uh, some people anyway said Mothman was a precursor of this It was warning about it. Hence, the film, The Mothman Prophecies, which came out in 02 and starred Richard Gere and Linda, Laura Linney. Is
0: that, uh, that based on Keel's book?
1: Uh, well, uh, very vaguely based on John Keel's book, I think, you know. But okay. jo- John Keel, being a New York journalist, uh, whom I, I deeply regret that we didn't know because we, because I'm a journalist and I would you know, would love to have compared notes with him on because he, he does what, what what Ben and I do, you know. And uh, he w- was back and forth in New York. He had a lot of strange things happening in his life uh, electronically with his phones, and if people have seen the film. Uh, it wasn't really a success, but I love it. I think the concepts are great. There's a, there are a lot of subtle references to some very uh, profound um, explanations and, and concepts that, that I respect, and this sort of thing. Have you seen it, Phil?
0: No, but I've but I've read up on Keel.
1: Right right, right, yeah, you might want to see the film and be interested in your opinion on it. Uh, but in any case, uh, Martha Manez uh, supposedly did not leave Point Pleasant after the bridge collapsed. That goes
0: into my follow up. My follow up is right right where you are. Um, okay to, to this point, since, since apparently he's it is still around. What is the level of black helicopter activity?
1: Well, th- there is, uh, there's that too, and if you're beginning to think like me, Phil, I would be disturbed about that if I were you. Uh, <laughs> but in any case, yeah, the, the, there was... Uh, well, well, the thing is, you have to remember that, and this was pointed out on the air by, I guess it was Robin Bellamy when, when we interviewed her on this, and she actually saw Mothman. She's a witness, and just as as an aside from it, her family was driving. She was a little girl uh, driving down along the Ohio River, and she said, broad daylight, there it was. They're standing uh, you know, next, uh, between the railroad tracks... And the river next to the road, and uh, you know, she thought at first it was a deep sea diver, and then the, then there were the wings. So uh, there it was. But you know, it was you know zipping by, you know, 40, 50 miles an hour. But she still considers herself a witness, and I, I don't have any problem with that. But um, with the issue of um, uh, the whole experience of Mothman, and you know, it, it was yeah. It, it supposedly did not leave the area. There, there are still there were, were reports into the '90s. But uh, when the bridge did collapse, there was just there, were, there was a flood. But people were seeing this, and, and you know, again, we're, we're not talking about the local drunk. You know, there were doctors, lawyers, uh, you know, all sorts of professional people, journalists who were seeing this. But what Robin pointed out was that after the bridge collapsed, naturally had all sorts of government people in the town. You had uh, the the newly formed National Transportation Safety Board, the NTSB, which we hear about now whenever, God forbid, there's a plane crash or whatever, they're they're there. Uh, This had just been formed that year, so they were there. Uh, They found out that the the bridge was uh, collapsed not by Mothman, but by number 13, Eyebolt, uh, that had just failed because w- the bridge was full of traffic and uh, that b- bad set of circumstances, and that was that. But th- you also had military people who were there because uh, naturally they would wonder, uh, is this the middle of the Cold War? Could this be terrorism? Or could it be uh, some sort of Soviet uh, act against you know uh, American infrastructure, that tra- you know, transportation infrastructure, which is very important from a defensive point of view? So there was that. However, uh, everyone we talked to said that there were also other strange people in the town at the time, you know, that went way beyond uh, these government types you would expect to see. MIBs. MIBs, Men in Black, who weren't always in black. Um, there was one person we talked to who, uh, whose father was an Air Force veteran, and mentioned that a person, show, two people, showed up. One of them was in an Air Force uniform, and as for her father, immediately noticed the insignia were in the wrong places. You know, And so obviously somebody was faking it. And uh, there was some speculation. Maybe these are just people trying to get the inside story and stuff. But, you know, uh, impersonating an Air Force officer is a felony. You know, So you're taking a big chance. But nevertheless, these people would come in, whether they were dressed in black or not, they would ask very strange questions, sometimes in the middle of the night. Uh, one person told us that there was a pencil on a desk. Th- this person picked up the pencil as if he'd never seen anything like it. And just stared at it. Uh, another one in another house went in and, and picked up an ashtray as if, it was, it was totally mystified, asked if he could keep it. <laughs> as if it was some kind of you know, valuable antique or something. And a, another woman said that there were two men in, in black turtlenecks who came to the door, and it was 95 degrees, jackets and black turtlenecks. And they asked weird questions, and then when they left, they didn't get into a car, they just walked over a hill. I mean, what, what the hay is going on down there at this point, you know? So, th- th- these stories went on and on, and on. they're just all kinds of bizarre stories, and we have most of these in the book. Uh, so, what this was about, I don't know. So, I don't know if that's a lengthy answer to your short question, or, or what, Phil?
0: Well, the, uh, my takeaway is the little anecdote about the uh, mothman whose wing got caught in some sort of um, structure, and he's using his hands to try to free the wing. Isn't that I mean, weird? It sounds, like it's, it sounds like a New Yorker cartoon.
1: Yeah, it does. It does. It's really strange. <laughs> well, anyway, Phil, thanks for calling, in and we always appreciate it. We'll see you soon, I'm <laughs> sure, at one of our events.
0: Take care, guys. Yeah, Take very good. Well.
1: Okay. Bye-bye. So, Mothman, one of the strangest mysteries you got going. Mothman, so, everybody. Yes, yes. Well, you know, what, uh, before we leave that subject, Ben, and uh, we haven't got much time as it is, wh- what's really strange is that Not everyone had a negative experience with Mothman. I mean, people talk about, you know, especially those red eyes. They hypnotized him. They couldn't move. And they were just terrified by this. But once in a while, you hear a story of someone who had a positive Mothman experience. I'm thinking of uh, Kevin Colvin, who was on the show. And he said that his family encountered Mothman. Uh, They lived in the Point Pleasant area. And uh, the whole family encountered it. And then the next day, and then he said it it was scary. But the next day... He was able to draw like Picasso. That's a quote, and was able to do math. And uh, Robin Bellamy pointed out that a lot of people she spoke with were able to um, all of a sudden had this great math ability. Now I could have used that at the time because Me was, too. <laughs> you were you were a lot better at math than I was.
2: Yeah. You
1: know. Uh, but in any case, uh, that's the, the math connection seemed to be very interesting. So that's your math, really case, The key to the universe. That's right. <laughs> quote for the archangel Gabriel himself. Yes. At least in a movie. So so. Uh, the Arch- the
2: archangel Christopher
1: Walken. Yes. So the uh, the Mothman mystery continues, and uh, we'll just um, we're going to continue adding to the 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 book actually on this uh, as we. It's probably going to turn into go. like an
2: encyclopedia or something.
1: Well, I hope it will. I hope it will because you know we, we we always try to have the best people on this show on these subjects, and we learn a lot from them ourselves. So again, uh, lots of Mothman stories that still come come through. Uh, now, chapter three in in the book is canine cryptids okay and again uh, we want to stay away from the werewolf thing and linda godfrey is our our go-to person on this i've been on the show many times wonderful person and she is uh lives still lives out there in wisconsin in the vicinity of the uh, a number of these these areas such as the uh, jefferson county square of weirdness such just <laughs> what she instead of a triangle it's a square well, I mean, you know, triangle, square, I mean, it's Whatever. not so much triangle. You know, it's just a flat area, certainly. And we have some wonderful artwork, again, by uh, uh, Corinne Mansberg here, uh, who uh, we're looking forward to seeing next Saturday. We're going to present her with her copy of the book at the release event in Danbury, Connecticut. And uh, th- she, she did a very interesting uh, rendition of a three-headed wolf kind of figure, which is based on the conception of Cerberus, or Kerberus, uh, also known as the Hound of Hades in Greek mythology, uh, you have this, this multi-headed canine who guards the gates of the underworld to prevent the dead from leaving doesn't do a very good job of it if some of these ghost people are right um, and one of the twelve labors of Hercules in mythology was capturing this creature so uh, we have some great artwork on that and we, and we have some great sketches by uh, of the the, Mich- the Michigan Dog Man uh, by Linda who was kind enough to let us use it in the book it was also a very strange story very recently of the, the California Wolf Man okay um on the very, day, and I'll, I'll read from the book here. On the very day of our broadcast, July f- uh, January fifth, twenty fifteen, uh, Linda received a um, that was that was right here on Owen actually, received a report of a wolf man witnessed by several people in Fresno, California. The people were this is a quote from Linda. The people were outdoors and three of them saw this creature, which ran out from behind some trees. It was in full view of the witnesses. Uh, The experiencers stated that the creature was a little larger than the average human, had a very wolf-like head and paws, and was covered with fur, but below the waist it was almost hairless, Uh, I should say furless, Uh, with legs that reminded them somewhat of human legs. Now, uh, Linda, a uh, quote again from Linda, this could be a case of mange, but that doesn't usually occur over only half the body. A rather chilling aspect of this report was that one witness went dead in the eyes like he'd gone somewhere else. It took him a minute to come back, unquote. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, of course, the obvious question that arises with this stuff is, you know, how do you know these witnesses are telling the truth? I mean, Ben, ben we get all kinds of bizarre reports day in and day out from listeners to the show or from people who just see our website, and they tell us all kinds of strange things that happen. But you know, they can't all be be nutballs, you know. And so um, Linda has the same approach. She has a certain standard. Been doing this for many years. You know, how do you judge who's a nut and who's not, or who's pulling your leg? So in the book, we go into her uh, criteria for judging. You know, who's uh, who's reliable and who's not. And but, but then a lot of people um, may not be seeing what they they think they were seeing. Like what I saw that night might not have been Bigfoot, yeah, but it sure looked like it, and um, I may have been wrong. So you always have to take with a grain of salt, right? So um, one one of the stories that, that Linda tells of course the Michigan Dog Man, which began as an April Fool's joke. Uh, it was it was 1987, and the Traverse City, uh, Michigan disc jockey um, by the name of uh, Steve Cook. Was writing a song as an April Fool's joke based on on the le- local legend of the Michigan Dog Man, and he played it on the air, and it was supposed to be just some some joke, but after he played it, he was amazed that people started calling in and saying that they'd actually seen this Dog Man, that their grandparents had reported seeing it or or, or them, and that it was real, and so this this began uh, this really intrigued. Uh, Linda who of course was a journalist and she began researching this and all sorts of uh, information came in about this Uh, then there's the famous beast of Bray Road in that same area of Wisconsin um, and that was the subject of a rather gory 2005 movie uh, and uh, that was very inaccurate according to Linda and she's gathered a lot of information on that Bray Road is just a rural road near Elkhorn a lot of uh, farms very much like this western Pennsylvania area but the question arises okay people are seeing canine cryptids uh, and um, I don't know if anybody's watching want to see Linda's original sketch when she broke the story hold it up to the camera for anybody who's watching on a device and can pick up the audio and um, there just a, 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 a large wolf like creature walking on its hind legs and um, this seems very unlikely because mammals of that kind are not made to really walk on their hind legs but Linda has uh, had lengthy uh, rationale and explanations for why this could be and uh, pointed out several reports where the creature was on four legs, and uh, when it was being observed, it rose onto two legs. Bears do that, and on, on other occasions, uh, they she has reports of people seeing it on two legs and it drops the four legs to run away. We've heard that in some big Bigfoot reports. So um, just to prove the point that I guess that it's not that difficult if animals are trained to do that, uh, we have a picture of Ben's cat uh in the book as well, standing on her hind legs, uh showing how easy it is to do, I guess for them. And so um, that's a very, very interesting subject and we're gonna have Linda back very soon. She was a great help in putting together this book. Uh chapter for running out of time soon, but we have enough time to mention. Sea and lake monsters, something Ben really likes as always has. And uh, we tied into some very interesting sources for this, some great art, original art by Corinne Mansberg as well. And there are pictures that, that, uh, that our local audience might be interested in. Um, I'm calling it Blackie, the Blackstone River. Now, I'm not saying there's a monster on the Blackstone River. However, I got some really interesting pictures. One day, it was October 2nd last year, and I was taking a walk on the lovely Blackstone River uh, bikeway that we, a lot of us know about here. And uh, there was uh, I heard a big commotion in the water It was only about twenty feet away and I have four photos that I happened to take because I always have my photo uh, camera. I was waiting for this more than I was for Bigfoot uh, earlier that year. I guess that maybe I learned a lesson. Uh, there was a large head the size of a football that rose out of the water and gave me a dirty look. You can see that you can see it giving me a dirty look in the pictures. Um, the creature turned away and finally you know, the final photo it, it uh, sort of uh, went submerged under the water I didn't see anything else about it now uh, I have some uh, friends everybody in Rhode Island here being so small we know each other so I have a couple of friends at the Rhode Island Department of Environmental Management and they um, looked at this and said well it, it there's some awfully big snapping turtles in the Blackstone River it could very well have been a snapping turtle but this thing was absolutely huge I, I grew up near the Connecticut River lived there next to rivers all my life I've never seen anything like this so uh, that's all in the book too so that's about all we have time for we'll have to get into our announcements here but again uh, the book Behind the Paranormal 2 Bigfoot Mothman and Monsters you Never Heard Of we're carrying on the brand of course last year's book Behind the Paranormal uh, which we'll talk about in our announcements section but our other chapters here of course involve uh, we talk about the various lake uh, and creatures here and the humanoids uh, we interviewed a lot of great people on that and the pictures we ourselves took of what appeared to be very small humanoids in the Bridgewater Triangle not far from us so we'll, we'll be dealing with more of that as we go on the air but Ben, I guess we better get to our announcements.
2: Oh yes, because there
1: are plenty of announcements. Yes.
2: So, our newest book which is which we've been talking about for the last hour, Behind the Paranormal Bigfoot, Mothman and Monsters You Have Never Heard of, is uh, now available on Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle and uh, we should have copies available for for sale at our next event on Saturday, uh, which we'll be telling you about in just a minute. And if you can't get to one of our events, and you would still like an autographed copy of any of our books, uh, you can get one or more online at our bookstore at BehindTheParanormal.com. Our
1: 2016 book, uh, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, is in most bookstores, and if they don't have it, they can get it. It's also available on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and other online retailers, Uh, but it is in the bookstores, too. And again, you can get an autographed copy, as Ben said, at BehindTheParanormal.com.
2: Alrighty, so many thanks to uh, Deborah and the great folks at the delightful Book Lovers Gourmet Bookstore Cafe in Webster, Massachusetts. Uh, we had a very fun presentation yesterday and folks had, you know, a sneak preview of our newest book.
1: Uh, the coming, uh, this coming Saturday, June 24th, we'll be back at the Danbury Public Library in Connecticut where we will do something we've never done before, a presentation specifically for young people aged 7 to 14 years of age. The program Monster Hunters, a Cryptozoology Workshop with Paul and Ben Eno. It will also be the official release uh, for the event for the book we've been talking about, um, uh, Mo- Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman and Monsters You Never Heard Of, which will be available for purchase and signing. We're also inviting children to do their own artwork, bring in their own artwork about cryptids, and we'll uh, share them with the group uh, at the library there. Now, I should point out, the book is not necessarily meant for young people. It's meant for all audiences, but young people will will enjoy it, too.
2: Yes. On Thursday, July 27th, we'll present our program, What's Really Behind the Paranormal, at the Prospect Senior Center, Thursday. You mean Saturday?
1: It's a Thursday. It's a
2: Thursday? Yeah. Okay. Well, there we go, at the Prospect Senior Center, In Prospect, Connecticut at 1 p.m. And this is open to the public.
1: Hey, they love you in Connecticut, Ben. They love you. Oh, I
2: know. Okay.
1: Uh, Labor Day weekend, September 3rd and 4th. will once again find us at the Exeter UFO Festival in New Hampshire. That's my favorite event of the year. I love it. Uh, A great annual event that benefits local children's charities sponsored by the Kiwanis Club there. Uh, Our subject on Saturday will be Flap Areas. UFOs and the Paranormal on Steroids. On Sunday, for the second year in a row, we'll do our live show from the Exeter Town Hall with a panel of speakers. That was a big success last year. And on Saturday, September 30th, we'll talk about Strange Connections, UFOs, Cryptids, and Ghosts in Western Connecticut and beyond at the Brandywine Living Center in Litchfield, Connecticut, heart of the Litchfield Triangle. Uh, October 6th and 7th, we'll be back at the Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemmonster, Massachusetts, where our subject will be the Fur Flies, Bigfoot, and UFOs.
2: And on, well, there, there are many more events coming this fall. So uh, that includes the Hudson Valley UFO Conference in Denver, Connecticut, and a program at the Portsmouth Public Library in New Hampshire in October.
1: And then uh, November, we'll speak at the Para Unity Conference in Fellsmere, Florida. So watch for more, more information on that. Uh, that was originally scheduled for August, but it has been moved to November. Uh, watch behindtheparanormal.com or our show Facebook page for updates.
2: You can check out our YouTube channel as well. That's Behind the Paranormal Case Files, and uh, we'll get some more productions up there for you as well
1: yes and uh, meanwhile you want to find out more about the show and uh, your, your center of operations here is that show website BehindTheParanormal.com uh, we have well over 700 free recorded shows from both ON 1240 and our four and a half year run on CBS radio along with special shows and podcasts they're all free again uh, many of you will be happy to know that this site is being redesigned and will be easier uh, to navigate uh, we also want to point out that on July 26th I think it's the 26th is our 700th show and we'll have a great Um, team of uh, panelists for that but for
2: our next show that is Sunday June 25th uh, we'll welcome 16 year old Colin Schneider of Ohio 18 who hunts Bigfoot
1: okay and uh, our quote is from Linda Godfrey from from our book consistency of accounts among witnesses isn't necessarily a factor because different people notice different things I'm Paul Eno
2: and I'm Ben Eno and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey and we shall see you next time